We're going to read verses 10 through 12, and then immediately following that, we're going to go to John chapter 4, verse 23. So for deeper waters, as you have probably caught on if you've been here, if, if, you're, if you're here for the first time during this portion, we've been talking a lot about worship. And uh, it's fitting because the Bible actually has a lot to say about how we worship and about what that actually means to God. And so we're going to continue that series, and we're going to look at how our worship reflects our love towards God. And the Bible, like I said, does have a lot to say about it. So reading from the New Living Translation, Matthew 24, verses 10 through 12 says, And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. This is Jesus talking to his disciples about the end-time church, which we are the end-time church, just spoiler alert. And so he goes on to say, And many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold. Everybody say cold. And then jumping to John chapter 4, verse 23. It says, But the hour cometh and now is. When the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. So for just like a few minutes before the worship team comes back up, I just want to talk about the topic of the worship thermometer. Came up with that title myself. It's just, I don't know. It, it, it made a lot of sense and had a great backslide to it. So growing up, there was always, in my mind, I always absor- um, kind of like observed this this paradox about the end-time church that I was born and raised in Pentecost. I would, I would remember, I would hear these messages about what it was going to be like to be in the church in the last days, right? And I would hear an evangelist would come in, and they would talk about there's going to be this great falling away at the end. And Jesus prophesied about it. Like, hearts are going to be cold. Another, another translation says that people are going to be offended with each other, like, really easily, and so I remember, like, man, we got to guard our hearts, and we got to be ready, because this end-time church is going to face some stuff, and they're going to be, the temptation to fall away is going to be great. And then, like, the next week, we'd have, a di- we'd have a different evangelist that would come in and would say, man, the end-time church is going to be the most powerful, spirit-filled church you have ever seen. People are, the pews won't contain the people that are going to be coming. The spirit's going to be poured out upon all flesh, and it's just, we're going to have church in the streets. Right? We would hear that. And so growing up, and I believe that too, because the Bible does say it. In Acts chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, he says he's going to pour out his spirit upon all flesh. So it was kind of like a paradox to me. It's like, is this, is this the same church we're talking about? Jesus is talking about cold-heartedness, and then at the same time, we're getting these prophecies about this just mighty move of God. And so when you, when you, when you dive into the scriptures and you look, man, this is going to be happening at the exact same time. And it's going to be our choice to decide which side we're going to be on. So there are people who have heard the good news of Jesus their entire life. Their entire life. There's people, not necessarily in this church, but in the church as a whole, talking about America. They've, They've heard the good news of Jesus, and then just one day they're deciding to leave, and they're deciding to walk out of the church. They get offended, their hearts become cold, and it's easy. It can happen to any of us. And they're leaving, and they're walking out of the church. But then at the same time, they're being passed. They're being passed by people flocking to the church who are looking for a real experience with Jesus Christ. And it's just, it's an unbelievable shift that is happening. And I personally believe that it's happening because the line that used to separate church and the world is becoming wider by the day. 
And I don't want to just like look back at the good old days and be like, America used to be awesome and was so much more morally upright than it is today. But the reality is, the Bible says, sufficient to the day is the evil thereof. So the longer we go in this, there's going to be a greater divide between what we experience here on a Sunday and then what we're going to experience in our universities and in our jobs on a Monday. It's going to get separate. It's going to get further and further apart. And so essentially, when we read about the end time church, we see there's going to be a church that's on fire or nothing. That chasm is just getting wider and wider and wider. And so what's happening is we can, we can leave church on Sunday feeling the presence of God. And by the time we get back here on a Wednesday, we, we can be kind of overwhelmed. Sometimes not even by our own doing. Um, it reminds me of a few years ago they did this big thing on smoking. So the medical community, in case you guys didn't know, has, has determined that smoking is very bad for you. <laughs> and so I remember growing up that the answer to smoking being bad for you was this. We're going to make like a smoking section in a restaurant and a non-smoking section in a restaurant. They'll be like right here. But if you don't smoke, you sit on this side. And if you do smoke, ashtrays provided and you sit on this side. And so what would, ha- what would happen, like, I don't know, I, I really remember it at Denny's for some reason. It was in other restaurants, but for some reason, the smoking, non-smoking at Denny's was, it was something. And so I remember, like, you would sit on this side, but you could still smell the smoke from the smoking section, right? A few years later, the medical community figured out, hey, guys, secondhand smoke is also bad. And so then there was this big movement, like, we actually, the secondhand smoke from somebody else's cigarette could actually impact you and cause you to have you guys are the smoking section, so I keep... <laughs> yeah. But it, it can actually cause effects on other people. And you know what the reality is, is you can leave church, you can be in the presence of God, but the, the way that society is today, it is very difficult to not have the influences of the world come across us and come across our paths. And it doesn't, you don't have to be seeking it out, it will find you. The smell is everywhere. And... And this end-time church has to be so intentional about how we view our relationship with God. We're not going to accidentally make it through anymore. Those those days are gone. However, the Bible does give us a way of measuring our hearts, of looking inside of ourselves and saying, man, am I getting a little too close to the secondhand smoke of the world? Or am I still fully in love with God? Is my heart still open to him? And you know what that is? (laughs) It's our worship. It's our worship. Our worship is a reflection of our heart. And it doesn't have to be, uh, oh, this person's not worshiping, they don't love God, but it's something that for ourselves, we can look and say, man, is it harder for me to get involved in this service today than it was last week? Like, man, I know in my heart I do love God, but mm, I'm not feeling this song, right? The Bible talks, Jesus himself says, people are going to be offended. Our hearts will easily grow cold. Oh, they're singing this song again. I've heard this message. Why is this guy doing deeper waters? He should be in the Sunday school class downstairs, right? And it's easy. It's easy for us to come into a service and to, man, without realizing it, have our hearts be impacted by the world. And so the Bible tells us that God has a love language. Can you throw that next slide up here? So I'm going to think, I know, I know. In 1992, Gary Chapman wrote a book entitled The Five Love Languages and How to Express Heartfelt Commitment. If you're here, you have probably heard of this guy in this book. 
rather either you read it directly, you had somebody beat you over the head with it, or if you've not heard any of those things, I'm going to catch you up really quick. So the idea behind his book, and it's a good book, I'm not hating, just very used. Um, the idea behind this book is that every living person, everybody say, that's me, shows love and receives love in one primary and one secondary way. That's the whole premise of the book. He also wrote the five love languages, he's capitalizing on this, for children, for men, teenagers, pets and animals, whatever you have. Uh, <laughs> it's a whole th There's something in there for you. You can find your love language, and uh, it's all there. But the idea was this. If somebody receives love in a certain way, and you're trying to show them love, you, you should figure out the way that they receive love, right? I'll give you a quick example. Uh, me and my wife. When we first got married, my big love language was gifts. Somebody gave me a gift, I would keep it. Like, I still have just random gifts sitting in my office that I don't know, people don't understand why I have them. Like, oh, somebody gave that to me. It's awesome. My wife's is not gifts at all. Gifts don't mean a whole lot to her. I mean, she likes things, but yeah, it's not a big deal. Hers is quality time. So I could give her a gift and then bounce out and play golf thinking that she knows she's loved. I'm out of here. And she could think that I hate her because I did not speak in her love language at all. And then the one thing that she does like, quality time, like, see ya, I'm out, right? Everybody's different. Did you know that God actually tells us in the scripture? First off, God is not limited to one love language. I'll, I'll say that. He's not limited to that. However, the Bible does tell us that God's ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. And so what he does in his word, is he's like, I want to have a relationship with you, so I'm going to communicate with you things that really matter to me. The biggest thing was, is if you love me, keep my commandments. He loves the obedience that the church has for him. But John 4.23 tells us, God genu genuinely is looking for us to show, us, show him that we love him with our worship. It says that the Father is seeking those who would worship him. That means for us, that should hit in our heart and be like, okay, this is pretty straightforward. If God wants to know if we love him or not, he's going to look directly at how we interact with him in a worship service. I know, it's not real revolutionary, but for me, it made me stop and think. It's easy for me to be like, God knows my heart. He can look. He knows I love him. Look at all these things that I've done for the kingdom, right? We can get there. But in this in this worship service, I'm tired, man. Or Jackson keeps laying his head on me. I don't know what, you know. And I'm just not that into it. And I recognize, wait a minute, this is literally God's love language. It's not about how I feel. It's not about what's going on around me. It's not about what I got to deal with when I get home. It's not about any of that. At this time, we have designated that there is a worship service this Sunday morning. And God literally is looking around saying, hey, who is going to worship me? He seeketh such to worship him. He's looking for that. And if he rolls in here, forget my good intentions. Forget what I feel like I've communicated to him. This is what he's asked from us. And I'm just like, eh, not today. Guess what? God is the ultimate gentleman. He is never going to force himself where he's not invited. He never is. It's never going to happen. And so he's looking for those people who are going to worship him. He's looking for a church that's going to lay aside what they're thinking, what they're feeling, what they're not feeling, and to say, hey, you know what? I'm just going to lift my hands right now, and I'm going to worship him. Hey, you know what? I'm going to get out in front, 
if that's what I do, and I'm going to worship him. I'm going to stand up in the back, whatever it is that I do, and I'm going to make sure that he knows that on this day, God, I love you, and I want you to be part of this service, and I want you to know that I love you. And so our worship really does reflect our hearts, but that, here's the good thing. There's a lot of things we can't control in life. We can't control how we feel why, while we worship. Sometimes I'll worship, man, we're going to go to Youth Congress in a few weeks. And I'm going to tell you, like, it is easy to worship God in, those, in that atmosphere. I mean, there are people flying around. The music is cranking. And it is not hard. I will jump and hurt my knee in that I know it's going to happen. It will happen. I'm going to get behind it. But you know what? I can, I can, I'm probably not going to jump and hurt my knee today. I've got to save it for Youth Congress, right? I'm just kidding. But you know what? I can come into a worship service here, and that's the same God. And if I don't have that same mindset... What's that tell him? Hey, I'm going to love you when it's convenient, but right now it's not that convenient. So I've got to check my heart, and I've got to look at what I'm doing to show him that I love him. And so it's easy for us to say, he knows my heart. I don't need to show it. I don't need to be demonstrative. I don't need to get out of the aisle. I don't need to do all of that. That's crazy. But you know what? Jesus actually talks about a church that doesn't do that. It's called the Laodicean Church. And if you'll turn with me to Revelations chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. John, the same guy who wrote the Gospel of John, wrote about the church of Laodicea in Revelations. And it's one of the end-time churches that Jesus is going to visit. And when he visits this church, he finds it in a certain way. And let's see what he says about it. He says, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither hot nor cold. I wert that thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold, tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich with white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eyesalve that thou mayest see. And then he goes on to say, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open up the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear. This was a church of God. This church did not have a sin problem. Some of the other churches you read about, like they had a real sin problem in Revelations. You know what their problem was? This end-time church just came, sat on pews, and just they felt like they were fine. And you know what God's response was? Man, I'm going to spew that out of my mouth. I don't want any part of that. That's pretty heavy. I'm thankful today to be part of Refuge Church. Because, man, we have some awesome worship services around here. Because, you know what, we've got to make sure that we never become like the church of Laodicea. Because, you know what, that church was, they, they didn't have a sin problem, but they did have a zeal problem. They were not zealous in their approach to Jesus. And so, when we come into our worship services and God's looking for people to worship him, man, let it never be said of me. Let it never be said of us. That, man, God came through and was looking for a time of communion, but we just, man, we just weren't really feeling it this day. And it's not said of us. I am thankful for this church, and I'm thankful for the worship that we have in here. And it, 
it reminds me, one last story of, from the Bible, it reminds me of probably the best example about our hearts and how our worship is directly related to our hearts. And it's found in Luke chapter 7, verses 36. On, I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. Jesus is, is encountering two unique people. He's encountering a Pharisee, which the Pharisees get a really bad rap, justifiably. They were probably the primary group responsible for crucifying Jesus. But before they crucified Jesus, they were the religious leaders of the day. So they kind of reflect modern religion in that way. And so he's interacting with a Pharisee, and then at the same time he's interacting with a sinful woman, which is really broad, but she was sinful. We know that. And this is what the Bible says about that interaction. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from the city heard that he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. She knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting her perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, so he didn't say this out loud, he's thinking this, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts, which is awesome, because Jesus could just answer his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. Neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right. You see where this is going. Jesus said, Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash my feet, but she washed them with her tears and wiped them with her, her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of all, olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and he qualifies it, and they are many, have all been forgiven. So she has shown me much love, but a person who has forgiven little only shows little love. Man, you want to talk about the ultimate thermometer of if we love God or not? Jesus just gave it to us. It's like, your worship really reflects how you feel about me. And you know what? It probably wasn't easy for that sinful woman to roll in there with the religious elite. Because at the time, the Pharisees weren't hated. They were the leaders. And she rolled in there, and she didn't care about anything else that was going on. She was like, I know what I've done wrong. I know that I don't deserve to be here. And I'm going to do everything I can to let this man know that I love him. Whereas the Pharisee, again, they get a bad rap, but man, it's, it's not hard to fall into that role sometimes if we aren't careful. Man, I come to church every Sunday. I've got my seat. I have my seat. It's right over there. Right? And I can sit there. Things are supposed to go a certain way. We've got our order. And man, it would, be, it would be really bad for me if somebody wanted to interrupt the service with the way they were worshiping, or if somebody wanted to interrupt their service to come and get at the feet of Jesus and just try to get a hold of them. Because you know what? As we stand, the musicians come back up. You know what? Here in Refuge Church, guys, I'll be honest, and I'll be the first to say it. I don't, I don't belong here. 
Guys, I don't deserve to be here. I don't deserve to be in the presence of God. I'm, I'm not perfect. I'm nobody. But man, when the worship service starts and when the altar call is called, I got, I got to make sure that God knows something. I don't know why you called me here. I don't know why you're allowing me to be here, but I am not going to let you regret it. I'm going to worship you even when I don't feel like it. I'm going to praise you even when it's hard, even when my mind's in other places, because I am thankful for all that he has forgiven me of. I am thankful for all that he has done for me. I am thankful that he called me to this place. And you know what? We're getting ready to jump into this worship service. And I wonder if right now we can just close our eyes, lift our hands, and we can thank him. And we can give him the praise that's due his name. God, we thank you, Jesus, that you pulled us out of this world, that you pulled us out of the sin that we were in. God, that you didn't leave us, that you didn't cast us out for somebody who was more qualified. God, we love you, and we invite you into this place this morning. God, we just want to be with you this morning.